said, I am the resurrection and the life. Now, we're going to literally dive into the scriptures. We're, we're, we're going to read it almost line by line and go through it because I, I don't want us to miss anything. There's, there's so much richness in God's word. And I think what, often what we do is we'll read the parts that we like. We'll memorize the verses that have great, beautiful, biblical truth and then just kind of leave the rest to the side, not realizing that every single word, every single letter that's in the Bible is there for a reason and carries tremendous weight and has a huge impact in our lives if we grasp it for what it is. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. And so it's going to be slightly different. Um, What I usually do is I'll read the text to you and then I'll pray. Um, But because we're going to walk through it together, I'm just going to pray and then we'll jump in. I'll give a little bit of context to what's happening uh, and then we'll jump into where I believe God wants us to be this morning. Is that all right? Is that okay? Cool. So I'm going to pray. Uh, I'm going to pray for you. I ask that you pray for me, that God would do something more powerful than we could ever ever imagine right here this very morning. Let's pray. Father, we we thank you for your word. Uh, We thank you that your word is is living and active, that it continues to move. It continues to transform our lives, to shape us, to become more and more like you. And so, Lord, we come now with uh, asking that you would open our hearts that you would open our minds, um, that you would reveal to us uh, what it is you want us to see through this text, these ancient words that have unbelievable importance for us. I ask that you would remove uh, any barriers and distractions that may be here this morning, um, that we would be focused on you. I ask that your Holy Spirit would lead, that it would give counsel and wisdom Jesus, would you meet us where we are? I can only imagine what people are carrying into this room, the the hurt and the challenges, the things that keep them up at night. I ask that you would meet us where we are. And so, Lord, it's to that end that I ask that you would stand in my body, that you would think through my mind, that you would speak through my mouth those things you'd have us know, say, and do. We love you, we praise you, and in Jesus' beautiful, beautiful name, we pray, amen, amen. Um, I'm going to give a little bit of context to what's happening, and then, like I said, we'll jump in. And so, um, at this point in Jesus' ministry, uh, things are going well, right? If you were an outsider looking in, you would go, hey, Jesus, things are looking good for you and your disciples, this this." thing that you're doing as you move from town to town and city to city and village to village, as you preach about the kingdom of God, it looks like things are going well because, because a crowd is beginning to gather. People are becoming interested. People are showing up to wherever Jesus goes to hear this, this message of how God loves them more than they could ever imagine. And all they have to do is repent. All they have to do is turn to God. He's drawing a crowd. See, but the the flip side of that is the religious leaders of that day, the Pharisees, they don't like that because they're beginning to lose some religious power as people are beginning to turn away from their teachings and turn to Jesus. They're going, hold on, this isn't good for us. This doesn't look good for us. We, We need to put a plan in motion. We need to stop Jesus in his tracks. 
And so they begin to, to start coming up with this plan to, to somehow end Jesus' ministry. They wanted to end Jesus. And so as Jesus and his disciples move from place to place, often we're told in the scriptures they have to leave quickly because they're about to be arrested, they're about to be beaten, that, that death is near. And so they're always ducking and diving and moving from one place to another, sometimes at night, so not to be seen. And so now Jesus finds himself in the countryside doing what he always does, preaching about the kingdom of God, telling people that they are loved more than they could ever imagine if only they would turn to Jesus, if they would turn to him. And as he's busy teaching, we're told in John chapter 11 that a runner is sent to Jesus to tell Jesus, hold on, Lazarus is sick. Now, Lazarus had two sisters, Mary and Martha. We've heard of them in the book of Luke. Um, Mary was, was the, the lady that, that washed Jesus' feet. When Jesus came to visit, she washed Jesus' feet with her hair and expensive perfume. And Jesus was, was honored by that because in that moment, he was like, listen, Mary, you have chosen what is right. When, when Martha, the other sister, was in the kitchen preparing a meal for Jesus, thinking that that's what she should be doing. We have a guest. Surely we should be preparing a meal. We should be busy at work. Mary was like, no, 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 no. We should be at the feet of Jesus. That's what's most important. And so, and so it's, the same, it's the same family. It's Mary and Martha. But here we're, we're introduced to Lazarus, the brother. It's the three of them, the siblings. We're also told that Jesus loved them. They weren't just mere acquaintances. He loved them. Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. They were dear to Jesus. But now Lazarus falls sick. And it's a serious illness. It's really, really bad. It's so bad that, that Mary and Martha find it necessary to go, hold on, we know Jesus. We know Jesus performs miracles. We're close to Jesus. Surely if he comes, he could do something. And so they send this runner to tell Jesus that Lazarus is sick. And Jesus, you need to come quick. But Jesus' response is confusing. He, he turns to the runner uh, and he says, this is, this is the, the illness that does not lead to death. Almost saying, uh, not yet. I'll come, but, but not yet. I, just imagine the confusion. The runner's going, hold on, maybe I didn't communicate it uh, clearly. Lazarus is sick. He's, he's going to die. You need to come. And he says, no, hold on. Not yet. And Jesus continues preaching and teaching. And so the runner goes back and tells uh, Mary and Martha and the family this news. Lazarus dies. Jesus now then turns to his disciples and he says, okay, guys, let's go. Let's go. And you can imagine the, the disciples are like, hold on, uh, where we need to go, Bethany, where Lazarus was, they're going, listen, if we go there, we, we, we're going to get caught. And he's like, no, 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 let's go. There's something is about to happen. The glory of God is about to be revealed. So let's go. And so that's where we pick up the story. Jesus, as he walks into Bethany, 
Lazarus at this point has been dead four days. And I'll tell you why that's important because it's mentioned more than once. He's been dead four days. And so we pick up the story in John chapter 11, verse 17. Hear these words of our Father. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Let's pause for a moment. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Have you ever been in a situation like that? Where maybe you've prayed. You've cried out to God. There was something happening in your life. Maybe a loved one was sick. Maybe the finances weren't going too well. And you cry out to the Lord. And nothing happens. Nothing happens. He doesn't show up. Maybe I'm being a little bit too personal. Maybe I'm going too deep too quickly. So maybe let me speak about myself. Because there have been times in my own life where I've cried to the Lord, where I've pleaded with Him that He would come and intervene in this particular situation. And nothing. Nothing. That loved one dies. The, the debit order bounces. And I know you know what that means. It means it leaves your account, comes back. It's kind of a weird situation because there's really no money. So why did it leave in the first place? It's, it's a weird thing that happens when I get that SMS from the bank. And I was like, Lord, where were you? Where were you? I, I cried out to you. Did you not see me at church on Sunday? Did you not see me reading the Bible? Did you not see me praying with that community? Where were you? I can only feel the emotions that Martha is feeling when she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would have not died. Where were you? Day after day, we were standing at the window hoping that you would come but no show. But she goes on, verse 22. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. I, I love that response. I love that response. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. See, many of us, if we've walked with Jesus for a while, if you've been a Christian for a while, you might even give that response. When Jesus doesn't show up to, to meet your need, you might go, you know what? He didn't come through. That loved one passed away. The money isn't there. We can't make that trip. But then you give this response right after that. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. You see, that, that, that's correct. It's what we would call, that's correct theology. It's, it, what she says is right. 
But I want to show you as we move through the scripture, it's not complete. It's correct, and it's something that many of us would say. But it's not complete. It's not a complete statement because it's, it's not anchored in the beautiful truth that is found in the scriptures. Verse 23, she, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, here she goes again, giving that correct answer. I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. She just continues to, to give more correct answers, more theological answers, what I would call academic content. See, when she says that, you can see, oh, she, she knows the Bible. Right? She knows the Bible. I'm sure many of us here, we, we know the Bible. We can quote a lot of what's found in here. And so we can give the right answers. Even when we're hurting, even when we're experiencing that, that, that pain, when we feel like, like God has failed us, can we be honest this morning? When we feel like God has been disobedient, we can quickly give the correct answer. But it's not the complete answer. It's academic. It's head knowledge. Has it made it to your heart yet? Do you truly believe what you're saying? Or are you just saying it because it's like, if they found out that I am angry with God, I don't know if they'd let me up here. If they found out that I was disappointed with God, I don't know if they'd let me teach the Bible up here. If they knew that I thought that God was disobedient because he, he didn't match up to my standards, he didn't meet my needs. So let me just give them theological correct answers. Let me quote the Bible to them. not realizing it, that I actually don't believe what I'm saying. And I'm going to show you that Martha is no different. She is no different. She responds by saying, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Here's that I am statement. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Why? Because I am the resurrection and the life. What's happening here is unbelievably powerful. You see, she, she believes that, yes, there's one day, there's a day coming somewhere in the future where, where Lazarus will, will rise again where death will have no power. That day is coming. And Jesus stops her in her tracks and says, now hold on, I am the resurrection and the life. What Jesus is doing is he's, he's taking that future hope and bringing it into our present reality. He is taking that, that future hope, what we long for, and he says, you can have that here today. You can experience that here today because I am the resurrection and the life. That security that you long for, that one day, one day when, when I get to stay and spend time with God in eternity, 
secure in who I am. He says, because I am the resurrection and the life, you can experience that here today. Many of us sit here and go, you know what? Man, there's just, I don't feel like I'm, I'm being provided for. I, I, it doesn't feel like God is, is, is my provision. But I know that one day, he says, hold on, I am the resurrection and the life. You can experience that today. Today. In the midst of everything that you're going through, you can experience that today. I am the resurrection. He's speaking about the power that he possesses. See, as Jesus looks to the cross knowing what has to happen, he says, I'm the only one. I'm the only one that can die on that cross for the sins of the world. Only I have the shoulders that can bear it all. And through that, through that death and resurrection, I give you life. Again, that future hope is brought into our present realities. That you no longer have to go, well, one day, one day I'll experience eternal life. No, he says you can experience that today. Today. And, and to be honest, um, this is going to sound a little weird. It should almost feel like, man, that's a better deal than that one day. Stay with me. This is why. Because there's coming a day when Jesus returns and there will be no pain. No crying. No sorrow. The scriptures promise this. And we'll get to enjoy Jesus in his fullness. And we'll be in community. When you read the book of Revelation, you see it. But hear this, how beautiful would it be to experience that same peace, that same security, that same joy, that same fulfillment now as we navigate through this challenging world. To be able to stand and look at your challenges and go, you know what, I'm still having a great day. Because I'm full of joy. I'm full of peace. The, the world should almost look to us and go, man, there's something different about those people. Ha, have you not read the newspaper? Ha, have you not read what's happening politically? Have you not read what's happening socioeconomically, racially, culturally? And we're able to stand and go, no, we're experiencing a peace that surpasses all understanding. Because he is the resurrection and the life. He has brought that future hope into our present realities. And so he looks to Martha and he says, listen, this is who I am. That you don't have to wait for that day. You can enjoy the fullness of who God is today. And all of that is anchored on that beautiful truth that I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. That all we are to do is to turn to him. 
If you want to experience the security that is found in Jesus, if you want to experience the fullness that is found in Jesus, the satisfaction that is found in Jesus, he says all you have to do is turn from whatever it is that you're pursuing, hoping that will give you those things, and turn to him. And see him for who he is, the resurrection and the life. Stop running to success and sex and money and relationships hoping that they will give you all that you need. They have a ceiling. And you're going to keep hitting that ceiling. And then you're going to wonder why. Why am I hitting this ceiling? And then you're going to try to run to something else and it's going to do the very same thing. He says, turn to me. Whoever believes in me, whoever believes in me, will find life. He then turns to Martha, but I believe he's turning to us even now. And he asks this question, do you believe this? Now you might sit here and go, hey, Oni, you don't know, I've been a Christian five years. Come on, man, obviously I believe it. Have you not seen me here Sunday after Sunday? I believe this. But is it just academic content sitting here in your head somewhere that you're ready to quote whenever necessary? Or do you really believe this? That's the question that Jesus is asking. He's asking you this very morning, do you believe this? Do you believe that I am the resurrection and the life? Do you believe this? Notice her response, verse 27. She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Again, a correct answer. But we're going to see in a moment, it's not complete. An answer that many of us would give. It's not complete. Now I'm going to move us to verse 38. It's not to say that the verses before that are not important. One day we'll go through the book of John, literally line by line, and we'll cover these verses. But, but what I want to do is I want to I continue the conversation that's happening between Jesus and Martha. The verses that we're skipping is, is Jesus now turns to Mary and he has a conversation with her. But I want to continue this conversation. All right, so we're going to jump to verse 38. Remember her response. She finished her conversation with Jesus by saying, I believe you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into this world. Verse 38. Then Jesus, deeply moved again after his conversation with Mary, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Verse 39. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Listen to what Martha says. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor. For he has been dead four days. Four days. See, in the Jewish culture, they believed that when someone died, the spirit would hover over the body for about three days. In hope that maybe the spirit has made a mistake, maybe something went wrong, and so you know, the spirit will go back into the body. Obviously, it's not true. But it's what some of them believed. And so I believe that Jesus was intentional in waiting four days. Because he wanted the people to know that, no, Lazarus is dead, dead. 
dead. No, not just maybe there's a possibility. No, Jesus didn't really perform the miracle because the spirit was hovering. Jesus just nudged Lazarus' spirit and it came. No, he was dead. At this point, there was an odor. The body was beginning to smell. See, they didn't have what we have today. The, the, the morgues, is that right? They didn't have that. They would wrap the body up, sprinkle some nice you know, ointment and perfume, hoping that you know, that would preserve the body for a while. But no, that body would begin to decay. And I have no idea what sickness Lazarus had. We're not told. But, but I want to believe. I, I, I want to believe that it was, it was a harsh sickness. A harsh sickness. Those sisters having to watch Lazarus day after day as their brother was fading away. Maybe he had sores on his body. We have some medical doctors in here. You know what I'm talking about. That, that sickness where, where the sweat begins to smell, maybe a little bit like blood. He was decaying. And so even though they wrapped him up, some could even say Lazarus was already dead before his final breath. And so he was dead, dead. But Jesus shows up to the cave where his body was. And he says to the people around them, he says, take away the stone. But Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus says, verse 40, did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? Her response is quite interesting. See, if she truly believed in who Jesus was, she wouldn't have made that statement. If Jesus is showing up to the cave to roll the stone away, she'd be like, listen, whatever Jesus is doing, it's going to be good. She should have had the response that that Jesus' mother had when Jesus turned the water to wine. Jesus' mom turns to the servants and says, whatever he says, you do. Because I know who he is. Whatever he says, you do. That's someone who truly believes. It's not just academic content. It's not just scripture that I quote. She truly believes. Do you truly believe? Are you not just giving correct answers, but are you giving complete answers? Martha is exposed. Because in that moment, doubt sits in. She doesn't truly believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. If she did, she would, have, she would have stood back and said, let him do what he does. You be you. You be you. I'm just going to stand back and watch. Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Verse 41, so they took away the stone. I love that. I love that. I love how Jesus doesn't rebuke. He doesn't turn to her and say, what's wrong with you? You know, I've said this time and time and time. He doesn't do that. Jesus is gentle. He's gracious. He's loving. How he does that with me time and time again, because I don't always believe. But he just continues to move. Man, I'm so thankful that that. that Jesus' faithfulness is not bound by our faithfulness because, hey, we're not that faithful. Secret's out. Jesus continues to move. 
So they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this on account of the people standing around me that they may believe that you sent me. The miracle is about to happen. That's basically what's happening. If this was a movie, the the music would begin to play. The lights would begin to shimmer. The miracle is about to happen. Brace yourselves. I can only imagine all of heaven sitting on the edge of their seats. But I'm going to pull us back a little bit. Because here's the thing. I I believe as the church, um, we've run away with miracles. And what I mean by that is is we we tend to focus so much on the miracles, and they are amazing, and I believe in every single one of them. I believe that we still serve a God who moves, who does the impossible. But I feel like sometimes we run away with that. That we focus so much on the miracle that we forget the one who does the miracle. We're so consumed by the miracle that we forget the one who performs the miracle. Don't don't just take my word for it. Jesus felt the same way. And it's not to say that I convinced Jesus. He convinced me. John chapter 4, verse 48. It's a story where Jesus heals the official's son, one of the leader's son, right? He shows up to Jesus and he's like, listen, I need you to heal my son. He's looking for the miracle, not for the one who gives the miracle. Notice Jesus' response. I'll say this real quick. You can go look at it later. Verse 48. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. If you read it in its original language, Jesus almost, you can feel the the weight of his, gosh, guys, what is wrong with you? I have to perform these miracles because you guys don't want to believe. The frustration. But it's Jesus deeply moved looking to the world and realizing that we are more broken than we could ever imagine. That we are blind. The son of the living God standing right there. And we're going, excuse me, can I get to the miracle? It's what we do. That's what I do. See, miracles, they they have their place. They have their place. They're, they're almost like uh, every now and then my wife and I get to go to a fine restaurant. And I'm talking fine where you dress up, suit and tie, proper. All right? Not, not your local, you know, wing place. No, 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 no. Fine dining. And we'll have the three-course meal. You know, we'll start with the, the starters. Some of the stuff I can't even pronounce. I'm just like, yes, I'll have that. It's the way you described it. It's where they bring the guy, the waiter comes, or, or, or the chef, I don't know. Someone important comes to your table and tells you, tonight we will be having the la complan, la sonachon, ta-ta, with a little bit of a sonachon, like, yep, yep, I'll have that. And so you have the starter, and it's amazing. 
But just before the main meal, they, they serve you, um, I believe it's pronounced this way, an intermezzo. There we go. An intermezzo. If you don't know, guys. You know, there's lots of fine restaurants in the city. Come on. But, but it's called an intermezzo. It's a, it's a small little bowl of, of like some it's cream, very creamy. Is that right? No? Sorbet? There we go. It's like a sorbet. See, I, don't, I, don't, I just eat. But it's called an intermezzo. And here's its purpose. It's delicious. It really is. It's amazing. It's bright and it's beautiful and it's, it's stunning to the eyes. But its purpose is that it's meant to prepare you for the main meal. It's like a palate cleanser. It's to prepare your, your mouth for the main meal. The senses that exist in your mouth, it's, it's meant to prepare you for that so that you might truly savor and taste the goodness of that, that 500 gram rump, medium to well. You can judge me later. Medium to well done steak so that you can taste those baby potatoes with that butter sauce that's, that's beautifully glazed over them. And then a whole bunch of other stuff that's on the plate that I can't pronounce, but I know that I love. It's meant to prepare you for that. So are miracles. Miracles are are meant to prepare us for what's coming. When Jesus heals people, it's phenomenal. When, When people are healed today, like I said, I believe in it. It's meant to prepare us for what's coming, where there will be a day where there will be no need for healing. And so when people walk away, they shouldn't walk away going, man, what an amazing healer. That pastor's amazing. No, they should walk away with, I desperately need Jesus. I desperately need Jesus. Because what I just experienced, you're telling me that's just a, a taste of what's coming. That's the purposes of miracles. Again, I'll, I'll read this, these two verses, and then I'll go back to the t- text. I know you're probably going, this guy's really laboring on this. I had the privilege of listening to um, a Chinese missionary who had come to faith many years ago uh, in a time where uh, persecution was high in China. Um, and so he comes to Jesus, and then he, he's compelled by, by the fact that he is loved more than he could ever imagine. And he's like, people need to hear this. And so he moves from village to village, sharing the gospel. Phenomenal work. You should read his book. It's called Heavenly Man. I got the privilege to hear him speak here in South Africa. Ma- Mandarin is what they speak in China, right? So he can't speak a word of English. Stands up on stage, has an interpreter. The way he memorizes the scriptures is he does so in song. So he'll talk, and then all of a sudden you'll hear him just bust up in a song. And he's quoting scripture. That's the only way that he could remember God's word. But what he said was tremendously interesting about miracles. He says what he's noticed as he's traveled the world is the West, and I believe was somewhat the same because we'd be heavily influenced by them. When it comes to miracles, he says, you know what? The West runs after the miracles. And what he sees in, in maybe the East and uh, the kind of closed countries is that the miracles are following the people of God. That blew me out the water. 
We're constantly going. So when's the next miracle? Oh, that church. Okay, God, cheers, everyone. We're going to that church. We just got here. No, but there's a miracle. Let's go. Woo! And then we get there. What? There's another miracle. Okay, let's go there. Where he says, no, you know what? The people of God, they roll up into a city. They preach the gospel. They tell people of Jesus who loves them, who died for them. And then they leave. And then later they hear, hey, did you hear? Someone got healed back there. What? Someone came to life back in the village that you guys were in. Amazing. We're going to keep our eyes fixed on God as he continues to lead us. And let his glory continue to move. Hear these words found at the end of the book of John, verse chapter 20, verse 30 and 31. Um, John realizing that he's written a lot and he's, he's written a lot about these miracles that are happening. He, he goes, listen, I need to pump the brakes for a moment and tell people what these miracles mean. And so he says in verse 30, so this is John chapter 20, verse 30. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. So there was a whole lot more that Jesus did. Verse 31, but these are written so that they may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Everything that Jesus did was so that you would believe in who he is, that you might have life and life to the full. And so Jesus stands there and he prays for the miracle that he's about to perform. Verse 33, when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Every word is intentional in the scriptures. He calls Lazarus by name. We saw last week when Jesus is the good shepherd. The sheep know the voice of the shepherd. Because the shepherd calls the sheep by name. Lazarus, come out. He calls you by name. That you are Lazarus. You, you are dead in your own sin. Because you've pursued this life where you thought you were in control. And that you need to be resurrected. And so Jesus calls you by name. He says, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him, let him go. I'll say this in closing and then I'll wrap us. Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. A picture of what happens spiritually to all of us. That we are all spiritually dead. Each and every one of us, spiritually dead and in desperate need of the Savior of the world to come and bring us from dead to life. And He does that. That's why He died on the cross. And so imagine Him on the cross crying out your name and saying, If you would believe in me, you can have life and life everlasting. Do you believe? Do you believe that God continues to work? That God continues to move in our city, in our country? That God is still saving? He is still crying out people's names, your loved ones, family, colleagues, neighbors. He's still crying out their names for them to come out of the tomb, that they might have life. 
But notice what he says right at the end. And this will take us home. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Jesus said to them, to them, that there was a community there. Why why would it be necessary for him to say that? Look, if I was brought back from the dead, I'd be unbinding myself like you cannot believe. But Jesus says to them, unbind him. And let him go. That, that we are beautifully designed for community. That as people come to Jesus, as people come to Jesus, we still come with some of those wrappings on us. Some of those addictions. Pornography. Anxiety. Depression. We, we still have those wrapped around us. And, and so God says, I have designed you to be in community. You're alive, 100% alive. But have you ever wondered why, man, I'm in Jesus, but I'm still struggling. I'm still wrestling with sin. Because this side of heaven, that's a reality for each and every one of us. Because things aren't perfect around us. Things aren't perfect around us. Though our standing is perfect, because we are in Christ, though I am alive because I am in Christ, doesn't mean my neighbor is. And he or she is going to say some stuff. My colleague is going to do some stuff. That's going to make me want to tell you how I feel about you. And it ain't pretty. And so I need the community to come around me and go, you don't need to be bitter. You don't need to be angry. You don't need to lust. Take that off. Take it off. We are beautifully designed for community. We cannot live in isolation. That's why here at Rooted Fellowship, we believe in city groups, that that though we gather on a Sunday like this, we gather, we scatter and gather in small communities. And I'm inviting you to be a part of that because you need brothers and sisters to go, hey, you need to take that off. Why are you still carrying that depression with you? Why are you still carrying that anxiety with you? Do you not know that you are a new creation in Christ? That you are alive? He calls you by name. So that you might live in the fullness of who he is. And then he puts you in community. So that we can continue to grow as we heard last week from one degree of glory to another. That we are constantly becoming more and more and more and more like him. And he is gracious and patient. He's willing to walk with us like the good shepherd that he is. And every now and then I, I want to take my head up and run quickly because it looks like something really cool is happening there. He's gracious to pull me back in. Sometimes he'll send one of the other sheep to go get me. Go tell him this is where he needs to be. By my feet. Eating where I have led him to. Only then will you live a life that is full of joy and satisfaction and fulfillment and security. Jesus invites you. Do you believe? Let's pray. And so, Father, as we, as we close in song, um, I really want us to pause for a moment and, and to answer that question. Do we really believe? See, for many of us in the room, it might be the first time. 
They might be taking that, that step for the first time, hearing Jesus calling me by name and saying, I, I want to I come out of this tomb. The, the, the smell of, of death, I no longer want it. The darkness of this tomb, I no longer want it. I want the good shepherd to lead me. Because when I'm with him, I am more loved than anywhere else. But for many of us, we need to answer that question, yes, again. That though we are in Christ, though our standing is perfect in you, we are often led astray. And so we need to believe again. Not a second salvation. No, because once you're saved, you're saved. Nothing can remove you from the hand of God. But we need to be reminded again that we are children, not orphans. That we have a seat at the table. That we should stop eating the mud that's outside and that we can come and feast inside to taste and to savor the goodness of who God is through His Son, Jesus, by the power of His Spirit. And so I long for each and every person to, to answer yes this morning, to say, I want you. Jesus, I need you. In your name we pray. Amen.